think I hold on to like fight stories as a kid more than I hold on to guest star on this show or that show. More like being in juvie from 16 to 17 in my head, even at this age, is a cooler story than that. That's just still to now. Like that's more of an experience and I got more out of it. Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Richard Listens podcast where my guests, my community, all of you have been so gracious to bring me my guests, to bring me knowledge, wisdom, your experiences. And today will be a day like no other, like every other, where I'm amazed that my guests come from far reaches of life. And in this case, a little bit closer to home uh, from Bayside, New York, uh, my guest today, former actor on The Sopranos and current owner of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, as well as street artist Scott Scotty Epstein. Scotty Epstein spent the idle hours of his childhood having a fight for every inch. Uh, by the time he reached high school and into his late teens, early 20s, he began to train as a professional fighter. Epstein trained at gyms in Long Island, New York City. In Hollywood, where he obtained his black belt from the notorious Eddie Bravo, who developed the Tenth Planet System, a non-traditional style of jiu-jitsu. Epstein won titles in martial arts and a series of matches from 2004 to 2007 that left him undefeated. He's the only third-degree black belt in Tenth Planet Jiu-Jitsu under Eddie Bravo, and he has over 19 years of grappling experience and 22 years of personal training experience. On top of that, some of his accolades include being in Chuck Liddell's corner as the ultimate fighter in season 11, and was on the, he was the jiu-jitsu coach for Team Liddell. He's a multiple winner and medalist for pro advanced division and grappling tournaments. He's a featured fighter and winner of the Tap Out television show on the Versus Network. Epstein's career was also successful in numerous films, in 1999, he was in a small romantic comedy called Trick, and then later featured on The Sopranos, NYPD Blue, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, and in 2010, launched a starring role in the short drama Numb, and he also played Tyler, an MMA fighter, struggled to balance his relationship with his son and his training, the most important fight of his life. 2011, Epstein appeared in the action film Never Back Down, the beatdown. Gotti is an artist. He has worked on public murals in the past and committed to raising money for meaningful causes. Now, Scotty focuses on MMA and his gym. I'm honored and excited to learn what Scott is up to and introduce his work to you. And before Scotty hops in, in just a moment, quick PSA to all of you. If you or someone you know needs help, uh, please reach out uh, and check out my webpage, richardlistens.com, my Instagram at richardlistens. DM me, let me know how to direct you. Uh, or if you are in a crisis and just need to speak to a counselor, we can also get you connected to local hotlines. You do not need to be alone. This is a tough time and you're not alone. So quick PSA. And hopefully our guest today will inspire you and give you a little bit of an angle about how resiliency and finding your way and your passion can help you deal with whatever you face in life. Without further ado, welcome Mr. Scott Epstein. 
Good morning and welcome to the show, Scott. How are you doing this morning? Fantastic. When I get my coffee. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> I got a 32-ouncer right here. <laughs> is it is it coffee before the gym for you or gym then coffee? Um, both. I do like the mushroom coffee usually, so it's not even like real coffee. So it's one's like a longer, not as but like I think the nootropics factors that are in like those things, that's what got me into it. Cause I didn't drink coffee as a kid. I was like, I don't, I don't even like the taste. And I, I don't think I do like the taste, but like one day I took a nootropic from like a sport drink, like a, some canned shit. At the, I do rock climbing, like not professionally, but I just do it like pretty consistently. And I was like, I thought it would give me energy. It didn't give me energy, but what it did was it gave me meth. I got home. I'm the guy who used like the one fork in the, in the sink after I'd done all the dishes. Like, ah, I'll do that later. No. All the dishes were done. I started the machine. I put away the other dishes. I start cleaning it. I'm like, what the f am I doing? And I realized it was those nootropics hit me up, which, you know, basically, like I said, it was like math. Not that I've ever done math. Or maybe I haven't. I didn't know I did it, but I didn't <laughs> like, willingly said, give me math. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'll do it. Um, sometimes like before I leave to go teach and train. And then right when I'm at the gym, I'll have the cans sport drink version of it or whatever it's called uh, uh and that's usually it unless it's like later and then i'll just use straight up mushrooms that um i don't think they have caffeine in them at all there's some where it's mixed but whatever that's a whole other story um so there's a long-winded answer to your short question yes thank you yeah because i mean we're going to go in a lot of different direction you're an artist you're an actor uh and the uh, owner of 10th planet's 10th planet jiu-jitsu uh, do you, but in your training, do you find, you know, caffeination adds to any anxiety or, um, what, no. what's your system for getting ready when you're going in the ring? Do you need a certain well, degree uh, of alertness? That's different. That's that, well, there's training and then there's like fighting, you know? So like, I don't fight no more. I don't, I don't even compete anymore. Like it's, you know, I'm old. So like, I, it, it's just, anytime I'm doing something physical, I'm waiting for like, my arm not to work or my neck to get tweaked or like there's been so many injuries over the years and it's just everything's just kind of hanging off by by a thread and it's just doing nothing like i could literally reach like that and i'm like oh here it goes and then my arm is jacked for two weeks and i'm like trying to figure out what i've done stem cells i've do all kinds of pt and all my motion everything i do like like exercise wise not like jujitsu or not like bouldering or whatever but like with weights or whatever, or with bands, everything's really, really slow. So there's no momentum. And if you take momentum out of the equation when you're exercising, you're not going to get hurt, right? Like if I tell you to go lay onto your car and bench press it, you can't, unless you got like a smart car, right? But like you ain't bench pressing that. But if I tell you how to do it, you're not going to get hurt. If you get under, you go nuts, you probably pull something, hurt something. So I know how to do it where I shouldn't get hurt. Um, so from the, the strength training aspect, this doesn't happen, but like just from like grabbing and reach, all of a sudden, you know, there's pains and aches. Um, but I, you know, I maintain, but uh, so for gym training, for coaching, for uh, doing jujitsu, for alchemy, yeah, I'm fine with caffeine. I don't really get anxiety. I don't get anxious. Um, if I was, I never did any kind of stimulants like that when I was fighting because I was very poker face and quiet like i'm a big mouth and i'm like do stupid shit. and 
and um, like corny dad jokes, you know, um, uh, really immature. Anytime someone's like bending over, I'm like, like, it doesn't matter who it is, where it is. I don't even mean to do it. It's second nature. Someone leaned over, you know, like I'm you can take the kid out of Queens, but you can't. Yeah, take the- yeah, yeah. <laughs> So speaking of uh, starts and upbringing, I mean, a lot of people get into fighting in different ways. It sounds like yours started outside of the gym and on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, that neighborhood, it was, uh, I grew up in Bayside, Queens. So you have like these two family apartments and then you have houses. There's not really a hood. In the 80s, there was white welfare, though. So we lived there. we were not welfare recipients uh, at the time. Um, my mom, she sold uh, condo uh, co-ops. They hold co-ops. They don't have them out here in LA. Uh, That's right. And she just did really well. And she opened a real estate company. So she, she killed it for a couple of years. She got clinically depressed and lost everything. But I was too young. Like it was like you know, it didn't. I didn't know. Um, so it, it wasn't like a. It wasn't a bad neighborhood, but we did bad things. And so we had these, this pack tribalist mentality of a mixed bag of us of kids, meaning like black, Spanish, white, Asian of all kinds. Um, and we all just rolled together like a, like a team. And, um, graffiti was the backbone of that. Like, uh, and so. Because, because people don't grow up in Queens, right? They don't realize, right? It's like, it's very dense. Uh, there's not a lot of places to go to hang out when you're a kid. Yeah, you got parks. Well, we actually had it. We hang out right in where the stores were, like in Springfield Boulevard. We just stand there. And then other neighborhoods would come up that we had problems with because of whatever, usually graffiti, but somehow older, someone older had a problem, someone older over there, and then it trickled down to kids my age at that time. And then it was like carloads of kids came out with bats and knives and we pulled weapons from under bushes and out of like phone booths that didn't work anymore. There's, and it was a, it was like a movie. It was a movie. And this is what we did all the time. Um, like, you know, it wasn't a summer sport. It was consistent. You'd be freezing in winter. And like, you know, back then we were kids and we'd like walk because there was an Uber then. And, you know, we weren't all. We didn't have cars. Sometimes some people had cars, but everyone tried to pack in that car. But like we'd go from, you know, a mile, two miles down the road, we'd walk it. And while you're walking, carloads of kids roll up from other neighborhoods. Like that's them, you know, and you're either fighting or you're running, depending on what the odds were or how stupid you were or how brave you were, which is stupid. Um, So I've been in those situations a lot. And I was also the guy getting out of the car chasing someone when I was a kid. I was a really tiny kid though. So I think... I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now. I thought it was fun. It was exciting to me and it was, it was scary and exciting, but I forced myself to do that. Um, because I think I was so small and I was like, okay, like you could have been the small kid that's like funny, wacky and everyone likes. You could be the small kid that everyone just abuses, but you could be the small kid that people were worried about. And I wanted to be the, the kid that everyone's, but in my head, I wasn't small. The logic wasn't there. Like now I look at a guy who's 230 pounds, 250 pounds. I go, I don't want to get hit by that guy. Back then I'm like, charge, you know? And right now I, I didn't know how to fight then. I just knew how to go crazy, you know, grab a weapon. Now I know how to fight. I know that that guy, if he doesn't hit me and I can get around him, I'm going to kill him. 
right? But back then it was full confidence. I can kill you. Like, because no one that size blasted me in the face that would have changed things real quick you know right right which is part of probably what you, you teach when you get in the gym i know from my martial arts training if you don't learn your style if you don't learn your weakness if you don't learn how you could get beat then you're vulnerable i mean sometimes vulnerability is a good thing you know but uh yeah it, it but you also just got to be realistic you know in jiu-jitsu there's it's white blue purple brown black belts right and usually blue belt is a year to two years normal people will get it and there's like jokes about how like the blue belt thinks they're when they get it or when they're in that range they're just no one can them they'll kill everyone and then you start going higher and you're like ah i'm not that great you know i'm good but i'm not that great you know like um i got to worry about but that is that blue belt level that people get overly confident where they have no business being that confident so you've been tied to you know mma greats chuck liddell uh you've been tied to eddie bravo um you know what's what's more impactful knowing those great fighters or being on an episode of the sopranos <laughs> um i think once you do something you kind of don't give it about it anymore i mean some people do some people hold on to it you know i think i hold on to like fight stories as a kid more than i hold on to you know i guest star on this show or that show or this or it was a lead in this movie more like being in juvie from 16 to 17 in my head even at this age is kind of like a cooler story than like i did an episode of something else like I, I, that's just still to now. Like that's more of an experience, and I got more out of it. Um, like, I mean, I Eddie Bravo when he opened his school, I was already there before he was there. It was there a Muay Thai? It was a, a, a Muay Thai gym, and kickboxing gym, and I just happened to live there. I was already training with Hicks and Gracie, and I had stopped just prior to that, and I was just focusing on Thai boxing. And uh, Eddie came in as the coach, and I was like, okay. And before you know it, I was like running the class. Whenever he wasn't there, I was like, I got it, I got it, I got it. And so I taught majority of the classes whenever he wasn't around. And back then, you know, he wasn't married with kid. So he was chasing girls everywhere. So he would just be gone, you know? Or um, and I think he had jobs with like he would work with the UFC, so he'd have to go to the UFC with Rogan. Um, but uh, you know, um very impactful. Uh, like, you know, I wouldn't do what I do right now if it wasn't for Eddie. Not that Eddie said open a gym or Eddie said teach or anything like that, but just like being part of that environment, my, my gear started turning and I was like, okay, here's something I could do. And then there's other people that really pushed me for the gym. Um, the guy who owns Muscle Farm, Ryan Drexler, even though it's a public company, he, it's a company. I got him into jiu-jitsu and he really pressed me. He's like, you gotta like, you gotta like do your own gym. And I was like, nah. I was like, ah, it's too much of a risk. You know, it goes from like taking a risk financially and, and being terrified to do something. Cause if we fail to nowadays where someone's like, Oh, there's a house. Thank you. There's a house for a good price. And I'm like, all right, here's 200K. And I'm not, I'm not terrified. I'm like, oh, whatever happens, you know? So that, that, that fear and that, that willingness to take that risk has evolved into me just going, you know, let's go. Because I'm not afraid. Well, I'm afraid, but it excites me to take risks in physically, like physically. How do you, yeah? How do you make that transformation? Because it's the same thing, right? Being willing to step in the ring and being able to face your fear 
and your doubts versus, you know, money is really tied to emotions and confidence, right? Yeah. Can I be vulnerable? Can I, can I let go of this? What's going to happen to me? I think, um, I think just doing it and not being like, I'm not a failure at like my gym. Like I'm in a saturated market and I do really well. And for me coming from what I, cause at, at the age of, I think 10, 11 is when we went dead broke. My mom actually, my dad passed away when I was like 12. So when he passed away, she was just coming out of clinical depression, which is why she lost her real estate company. He was dead and, uh, we had no money. So it was like, I basically, from my memory, I came from welfare, you know, for a few years and I just stole everything. I, but I stole things for fun. I stole to fit in. Like my friends all wore these clothes and I was like, well, no one's going to buy me that. And I mean, maybe I can get my mom to put, I'm going to rob it. So I would just would go into stores and just steal everything. I'd walk out of the gap with like, remember the gap? And I'd pile up clothes like this and I'd just run out the store and I'd have my, my, my wardrobe for the summer or for like, so I came from that. So like now the money I make now is to, in my head, compared to I'm rich and to my friends that are, I do have money. They're like, yeah, you're liquid for a good. So like in my head, I'm doing well, really well. And that's because these people push me. And because I am, I'm able to like, I can go look this chunk of change. It's going to sit there or I'm just going to put it here and maybe it works out or maybe it doesn't. So like any, any properties I've bought and sold, which I'm not a real estate guy. I've just had opportunities. I did well in all of them. I invested in a business. It went to shit. I lost money. It happens. My friend has a business that I just invested in to own a percentage of. I hope, you know, I hope it, it, it already does okay, but it's got to pay for itself. And it's just, I'll just leave it there. And if it, if, if it fails, then I, it's a, a deduction on my taxes or whatever the right word is for that. Like I'm going to be like, yeah. okay. I want to, just cause you mentioned it and I'm really sorry, you know, that you lost your dad at a young age. What do you think, you know, you talked about learning how to survive and doing whatever it takes. What do you think you learned from that, that, that carries you to be the successful man you are today? Learn from my father dying? No, from, from having to survive through all of it, the collective, the, the mom's depression. Like there's a certain feeling of like, you're kind of in it alone and you got to figure it out with your boys, with your tribe? Uh, you know, I don't, it's hard to say. I never really thought about it because I don't, I don't like hold on from my past and like, that's like horrible. And I go, oh, that, that makes me who I am. You know, like, oh, my father died. So I had a tough life and I'm going to be this. Like, I just don't even, I'm like, oh, he died. Like, you know, it doesn't come up in my head that much, you know? I have a picture of him on the refrigerator, um, but I didn't grow up being bitter or angry. Like I didn't start being a troublemaker or a bad kid or a criminal, whatever you want to call it. Um, after my dad died, they were, they were trying to kick me out of summer camp when he was alive. And he was a big dude. He was like six one, like, you know, big belly, hairy, just Sasquatch and a beard, ZZ top beard. He was not like, like, Oh, that's a nice guy. Like, like he was like, you know, dry sense of humor, like teased. Was it like, you know, from what I remember, like, I just, I just watched a, a video my cousin sent me. It was creepy. It was weird. It was my dad on the video talking. I haven't heard that man's voice in like 30 something years. 
And wow. I was like, that's what my dad sounds. I had no idea. I've never even, I see his face, but I don't hear a voice. You know, so that's how little I've in, like thought about it. So I don't hold on to, to those things and I don't go, oh, that's what I guess, you know, just, just sometimes you're in the trenches, you know, and you do what you got to do. Um, but in my head, it wasn't like for the future, I'm doing this at that age. It was for tomorrow. It was for right now. Mm. I mean, I remember when I was to tell this story to people often, I would see, I had a plan when I was freezing outside, hanging out with my friends for no reason. I could have been home, but it was cold out and I was freezing. I, would, I was like, I'm going to get a, an ATM card. I had found a few that like worked. So I would do credit card, go to like Macy's and buy a shirt and whatever. And be like, did I do it? And then try it again. It didn't work. Um, but I would use those cards to open up the doors to the bank, ATM areas. And I would hang out in there when it was cold. And I was like, that's what I'll do. I'll go late night. This is my plan. When I was like 13, 14, I'll go late night when no one's around and I'll sleep in there. It's warm and, and I'll get like a side. That was my plans for the future as a kid. I didn't want to be an astronaut or a baseball player or nowadays a rapper. I had no ambition, zero, nothing. It wasn't until, you know, I, I went upstate, or I, I got, uh, I got locked up, um, that I got, a, I started working out and then I put on like 20, 30 pounds of muscle, you know, so it's a com combination of exercise, actual eating and puberty that I just won't. You know, I went from like a 110 pound kid to like a 150 pound kid or something like that. Did um, that structure of being locked up get, help you gain confidence or help you see, see so, yourself? So yeah. it was good in the sense because it was a, a, like a juvenile thing. So they really kind of helped the kids instead of like prison where you're like just in a cell and you just work in that system in there. They, it's like therapeutic. They're not, you know, they have group meetings, but you're not like one-on-one -on -one with a counselor or anything like that. But like they had what they called the levels and you come in at level one and you can go all the way up to level five, which is like unheard of um, in, individually. And so like each level gave you more privileges. So I was able to get to level four and a few times and level four, I, I would lose level if I'd get into a fight or something stupid or just be bad to the teachers. So level four, you're allowed to stay up later. You can go to the gym. You don't have to go on a list to go to the gym. We're usually like three kids go to the gym and I was addicted to the gym. So I was like, no, I'm going to the gym. Uh, you told everyone to line up and went to go in and like just to, you eat more food or whatever it was. They had all these privileges. So you start learning to play the game. When you get out, you learn to play the game. You know, sometimes you just got to yes people. Sometimes you got to tell people what they want to hear. Sometimes you got to suck it up and which I'm not the best at. Um, but I learned that there. And um, my guard was still up uh, just as, as a human being, you know, a New Yorker, you know, nice shoes. What do you mean nice? What's wrong with my shoes? <laughs> I guards up, right? Like there's nothing wrong with your shoes. They're nice. So the guard did go down a bit. Uh, and my, uh, my excitement by criminal activities went away because I was like, I am not going back for, I'm not going to sit in a place for a year away from, from girls and friends. And, but, uh, yeah, so I got something out of it, but like a, re a regular prison, no, it's not going to, it's not going to help. It wouldn't have helped. So I think it did help me. It matured me a little bit. You know, I read some books. I made some friends. 
uh, um, I learned to be more of a leader there. Uh, and when I came out, I was, became more of a leader um, within my friend group. So I had like groups of kids that would hang out, you know, teenagers that would hang out at my house. That my house was to hang out. My mom was cool with that because she rather was there than on the streets. Um, and like, you know, I told everyone, like, as we made like a little crew and I was like, it's all of ours, but it was mine, you know, like, and they knew it. Um, but I wanted everyone to feel like they had like some sort of position or power in our little friend group of like graffiti people. Um, and, uh, it also helped me like, I think just be a little more independent than than the other people I was around. Every, everyone gets into their cliques and they're like, dress this way, do this. I was like, oh, I like that. And I'll just go do that. That's always been since then. Like none of my friends wanted to act. None of my friends wanted to fucking learn jujitsu or kickboxing or kickboxing a little bit in the beginning, uh, or actually fight. Um, no one, some people have evolved into artists and some people have sold some stuff, but like, I just jump into shit. I go, I want to try this and see if I like it. And then, I get to a certain point, I'm like, okay. And if it's not like, I'm not super successful in it, I'll just walk away from it. Not that I have to be super successful. You know, I don't have to be a successful boulder rock climber. I just like to do it. I don't care if anything ever happens with it. I don't, I would like to be like, I sold a, a good amount of artwork um, from COVID to now, and I still get jobs from there, but I would like that to be, when I don't want to teach anymore, when I'm older in my sixties, I'd like to just be painting pictures and flipping them for a hundred thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. And just, just to slow this down, because it's amazing because you have these passions and these paths, which you've become successful at. And it doesn't sound like there was a lot of forethought. You were an artist and a fighter even before you were like professionally seeking those things. So, you know, how, how did those evolve? Like, did they, is it just a matter of sticking with what you enjoy? And trusting that. I should just write down your question so I can look back and what the f am I talking about? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, like, with fighting, um, I legitimately just went to learn kickboxing and stuff. Uh, people that watch this, they know MMA world. I went and trained with Ray Longo, who was teaching just kickboxing back in the day. Now, he, you know, he's, it's Sarah Longo now. Um, he's got Chris Weidman. He's got, uh, he's got, um, uh, he's got a bunch of fighters. I just, uh, 145 champ in the UFCs. Like, so anyway, I went to train with him for kickboxing way back. And the only reason I went was for it to be easier for me to people up in the streets. That was it. Um, then I just be tough. Being tough was cool to me. You know, I don't understand people. I don't understand kids now that come to my gym and they're like, how many times do I have to do this? They're like kids, you know, with their parents. I'm like, Dude, I'm going to teach you how to be a superhero or villain, whatever you want to do with it. Like, you're going to have power over everyone. You're going to be able to just beat everyone up in your school. Like, why would you? What do you mean? And they want to play like some video game or something. I don't know. Um, so, like, I went to Ray first. Uh, then I, I moved to Florida for like a for modeling season for a little bit. And then I came back home and I, I met a guy in Florida that trained. Jiu-Jitsu New York. So I started looking that up when I was about 21. Started training Jiu-Jitsu 21. 
till now, obviously, that's my career. Um, and I became a product of my environment. I did not plan on fighting professionally. I would look at like UFC and be like, those guys are crazy. Like, I, meanwhile, you could come at me at that time with a machete and I wrap a shit around my arm, but what's up? You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, these guys are fighting. I'm like, then they're crazy. Um, but there's just more structure when I was with Eddie Bravo. First, I was with Hicks and Grayson. I was like, I want to fight. He's like, I don't see you as a fighter. I'm like, okay, you don't know me. You're judging this. A younger, rounder, less lines in the face. He was looking at a face. He, was, he didn't know what was going on in here. Um, he didn't know my journey. And so I was like, oh, I guess maybe I'm not supposed to. I'm like, that, dude. You know, I'll fight him in a fucking lot. Um, and then being around Eddie, Eddie Bravo, like have all these people come in from all over the place. And these are the guys that were like UFC fighters that were way heavier and bigger than me. And like then guys from Japan that were around my size that were like guys I would like watch on Pride or whatever, which is a fighting event at the time that a, that a, a march for gay people. And uh, I was like, man, that guy's a monster. And they come in the gym and I smoke them. Now we're not fighting MMA. We're just doing grappling. But like. So I'm not getting hit, but we're, we're wrestling with submissions to, you know, choke them or you're armbar. Seeing you, your skills, you're seeing how you measure up. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's not much pressure, but so I was like, I'll do it. I'll just do like, and then I was in my head. I was like, I cannot get to an age where I can't do it and be like, why did I not do that? You know, it's like, how are you going to skateboard your whole life and not even try to ollie, you know, like, <laughs> Like a power slide, like some shit. I don't know what they're called anymore. You know, like you would trick. So like, I, th- I think we set up a, an, um, it was a, especially an amateur fight, but I got paid. So it was a pro fight and I did that. And I was like, I was pretty confident about it. And my first three or four fights, three fights, I was, there was nerves, but I wasn't like I got, I got, I had the runs or I puked. Cause that's usually what it is. Just pretty like, I'm going to this guy up like it's good i'm gonna kill him and then i had so much anxiety and stress and on edge on my very last fight which was uh they used to have a show called the tap out show and tap out the company the brand the clothing brand they would find these fighters and like do a documentary like a, a show an episode what it was like it's a documentary what do they do here's a life let's do some fun stuff with them like reality meets documentary um not scripted and so i fought on that and that was a lot of pressure because now i have like tap out back then was, was like giving me money, giving me all the clothes I wanted, doing all these like photo shoots and this and that. Like I was signing autographs and I was like, you know? So it, the, having that spotlight on me, like that for, for an athletic thing took me. So like did that last fight and then I was done. I was like, I'm not fighting pro anymore. Um, I was considering it later on because I had a movie come out that I was like the main, I was a bad guy, but I was also the lead actor. Um, and it was a fighting movie and I was like, okay, when this comes out, cause then it became about money. When this comes out, the guys from WEC, which is now UFC bought them. Um, they had my weight class, 145. I walked at like 160 or 150. Is that the never back down film? Yeah. 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 So that was like the last fighting movie. I did like two movies after that, but that was the last like fighting one that was supposed to, you know, has a following and. I still have people like, that's the dude from, like, no one knows my name. Like, that's the bad guy from Never Back. I'm like, <laughs> uh, like even on my, on TikTok, it says, yes, I'm the bad guy from Never Back Down too. So what? You know, like, cause everyone, <laughs> I'm like, yes. And I have to answer cause that's just me. 
Um, unless it's something that has like a million views and I just can't keep up I'm like, I'll let them talk. Um, so that was, um, that's how the fighting happened. It was, you know, didn't know it was going to be with the artwork stuff. I always drew, I always, so like I did the graffiti as a kid. Um, but I always like would like copy comic books and I would draw portraits of stuff. And I even did some classes. Um, I did junior college when I was like, I got my GED in juvie. And then like, when I was like 17, 18, I did some junior college for a little bit. And I did some art classes. So I didn't feel like they taught me anything in the art class. They would just draw that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I just try, you know, pay them to teach me nothing. Um, and then, uh, throughout time, like I, when I was, uh, living, living out here in LA, um, I used to sell, uh, when it was illegal, I used to sell like, you know, bags of weed and like just to pay the rent or whatever. I had a little grow room in my, uh, literally a closet. I learned from some kids out here, like how to grow weed. I probably sucked at it, but I would cut down. I'd get like a half a pound or I was lucky three quarters of a pound from one light, which was, isn't the best, but, um, and I would just sell it. I had local customers. And one of the customers, there took a few of them, but they were like artists, like hippie dirtbag artists. And they would see, like, I would do cool, shit, hang it up in my house and just leave it there. I didn't, just like I was bored. I had an idea. I was motivated. Oh, I would get a piece of sheet metal and I would draw with paint markers on it and splash and put it in a frame. And they're like, you did that? I'm like, yeah, like, we have an art show. So all of a sudden I sold some art. I go in their art show with some, that took me 10 minutes to do. And they put it in there and they'd be like, here, it's 300 bucks. I'm like, oh. And then that kind of tapered away. Um, and then I've been around very successful artists. I don't know if they're considered blue trip artists, but that I hang around with and they motivate me. Like the guy behind me, Risk, like he's seen my portrait work, the faces and the way I do it in the style. He's like, dude, you know, this is Risk. He's like, yo, nigga, I can't do that. He's you know, he's like, he's like, I was like, yeah, you can. He's like, nah, shit you do, I can't do it. I made him sound black. Um, he's not, he's white. Uh, and he was just like, but he, he talks like that. Um, and so even at his compound, I would do paint and then putting it out there and people start hitting me up. Like, can you paint my dog? Can you do this? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Less, you know, less painting. I still was up there in price. Is a commission work and Risk, uh, Kelly Risky's manager was like, that's your price now. Like, I'm like, I can't sell for that again. He's like, that's your price now. So, um, I'm not super successful, but, but there's some artists that have been struggling and they're better than me or whatever. And I had a holder and they've never sold. Shit. So, and they're art schooled and they're in like big fancy galleries. And they don't so what's shit. that like for you for the world to be seeing your value? Not good enough not enough it's never enough because mm. the business side goes in you know the business side is you have a gym this is not me right now but at one point oh man if i could get to 50 students as soon as i hit 50 i'm like i want 100 not i want 60 i want 100 get to 100 all right let's be fair 150 okay with 150 i want 200 you know now it's at the point where i'm like no i want every class in my gym to have at least 30 people on the mat and i want to start at 6 a.m or 7 a.m come and gym closes at 10 30 11. i want every is that is that never allowing yourself to enjoy your success or is that what it takes i enjoy that grow 
I enjoy that. Yeah. Like I, it's, uh, the success is the enjoying the success, like the seeing it, like, but you know how, you know, more money, more problems, right? Like, like, look what I need. And then the tax comes. I'm like, huh? What? No, that's not fair. Why? <laughs> I don't that's want a, to. That's a big reframe, right? That having, yeah, the more taxes you pay, the more successful you've been. <laughs> that's an American reframe we need to have. It's like you did it, but you didn't. Like I made it, and you made it. Um, but now it's just yeah. But it, but learning about success from the process standpoint, rather than just about the result, that at what point what we thought was not possible now becomes the low bar, right? What I thought was fifty. Oh, we just need fifty students. Now I want that every class. Yeah. Um, well, it keeps you so motivated. It must be nice. If yeah. you if you enjoy it, 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 it keeps you motivated. You know, this quick whip. Everyone has that in them, in a sense. They just don't realize it, I think. The, you see how much people look at their phone because they want to see how many likes there was or what comments came up or whatever. Like a lot of times I'm on the phone because I'm arguing with my friends from New York. That's, we, we're, we, we love each, we love, hate each other. Like, and that's I'm, why I'm I'm hobby too. <laughs> but these people, you know, from all ages, they're looking. And so there is this thing that like, can I do more? Can I do better? You know? One of my students, he's a superstar on social media. He's murdering it. I'm like, I, there's no rhyme or reason. There really isn't. You know, people see him. He's just, he's very low on the totem pole under me, uh, as in ranking. Um, he has ways to go and he'll get there because he's, he's focused. But like, people will be on my page and be like, that's so-and-so. I'm like, I'm a student. Him? You know, like, I'm nothing. I'm like, and so, like, he has it, and I'm like, I talk to him, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I mentor him, I don't know, but lack of a better word, but I'm like, you need to parlay this into teaching, because you're basically an influencer at this point, but you're not getting compensated for it. You're just doing it for fun. You need to, like, get with an agency who will have you working for companies that need you to do X, Y, and Z, because he's not just, like, the girl shaking her butt that's an influencer, you know, it's a guy that knows something about something, and he can have companies... Hey, and I'm, so I, I talked to him all the time, like, we got to do this. And I'm even getting him hooked up with, like, just, like, you know, for now. Like, hey, you want to go to this thing? I'm going to tell him you're there. You're going to make a video when you're there. Cause- yeah, so I'm hearing you really get a lot out of the mentorship. I guess, you know, one of my questions for you would be, if you were to meet 10 to 16-year-old Scott or somebody like you, when you see that, what do you what are you hoping for them or, or how do you reach them? Well, it's not 10 to 16 year old me because 10 to 16 year old was a, and was like my way. I know what's up. You can't tell me. And just not logical. Like, not like, Hey, if you do this, this is bad. Things going to happen. So whatever then, then that's going to happen. That was a 16 year old me, you know, but there are younger kids that are not like that. And if they are motivated and focused, then I'm, I'm all about it. And, and a lot of people like, especially as a coach, they expect, and it's not fair to me, they expect me to be there to guide all these things for them. And they, all they have to do is ask. And if they don't ask, then they're like frustrated. Like, well, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And I'm like, well, you didn't ask me. I got all these people here, you're not the only one. Um, and that's the downside to like coaching and, you know, my style, like not, not that, that the technical like details, but like as running a gym that I'm involved with these people, you know, there's sometimes there has to be a line, like, I can't be everyone's friend, you know? 
and they can't because some, some of the people that I've gone out the most for on certain things are the ones that like stab me in the back for no reason whatsoever. And then that hurts because that those people were my, I thought were my friends. And so I, I'm very weary, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, people in abusive relationships and then they, 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 some are smart and they don't carry that weight of, of the last person onto someone else. Cause it's not fair to the new person, but I'm at a place where I'm just going to be a little more weary. And it's, I've been doing this for a long time. And, uh, you know, the person you get a job, the person you find a place to live for that happens to be a student, the person you have to train for free because they can't afford, they just got to leave. And then they badmouth you or tell the students to go to another gym. Like, it's like, what's wrong with you? You know, your people that were like your, your heart. Yeah. Well, it's a vulnerable place to be the giver, to be the mentor, to be the teacher, even to give from your heart charity because you you are opening yourself up and exposing and yeah being strategic about that it's it's hard when you have right you're a business owner now right it's your name it's your your reputation um and yet we want to help right but yeah if someone doesn't feel worthy if they're that version of you like you describe a teen who's not ready uh yeah then they'll blame you if they're still in that place of tied to being a victim and not ready to receive help uh it's it's a sticky place to be so i I appreciate that that development i want to give you a chance uh to talk about the gym and and where you're at with your art and and where you want people to to reach you or find out about you or argue with you online Uh, (laughs) if you know me don't argue with me it's the people that don't know me that say they just say some and i troll too like i see and i'm like (laughs) because it's funny for me and then you know someone else thinks it's funny um can argue with political figures all the time. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I see some of the they say, and I'm like, that's not true. Like, why are you just lying? Like, you know, that's not true. So I'll go after them. And I don't even know who they are. Like, what this is me, you know, passing time. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, for the gym stuff, it's on, you know, on, I'm right here. I'm on Los Angeles and then uh, on La Cienega and Olympic. It's 10th Planet West. So I own a gym. I own a 10th Planet. 10th Planet, I don't own all of them. There's 170 of them. So I've, they're all independent contractors or whatever the right term is to use for that. Um, Eddie Bravo is the owner of 10th Planet downtown Los Angeles. And he's, you know, it's his baby and we all pay him affiliation fees and blah, 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 and licensing fees. Um, we work within that system. Uh, so yeah, my gym is in, in basically Beverly Hills. It's this small area called Carthay that no one ever heard of, but it's the sign for Beverly Hills is down the block. You can see it. So it's Beverly Hills. Um, and, uh, unlike a lot of gyms in Los Angeles, we have parking and we have showers. Um, and, uh, we're pretty open to everyone, you know, unless you're, it's cool, gay, straight, you know, I, look, I, you know, just people that want to make an effort and learn and get better. That's for you. You don't have to be a black belt. It just, it doesn't help me to have some like guy who knows everything come in the gym and not just be there to use people. Like it's, I want the people that don't know that want to evolve, that want to get better, just want to get better. Maybe make relationships with others in the gym and be friends. Cool. Good for you. Let's go. Let's do that. So we have the jujitsu, which is like a no gi grappling. We don't use the kimono. That's the difference between Planet and other jujitsus. Uh, and that's more of a practical thing. 
Like you don't want to get used to grabbing a collar that's not there and using it and grabbing a sleeve that's not there to set up moves. It's cool. It's fun. It's great. It's that, that thing. Um, but you know, you're some guys at the bar or whatever on the street in the parking lot, whatever, like he could be in a tank top. Also, even if he does have that, you just don't want to get used to grabbing something that may not be there. I rather treat it more like wrestling where I'm controlling their body, controlling their neck, overhooking, underhooking their body. And then, doing what I got to do. Um, so, I saw some great YouTube videos of you demonstrating the, the rear naked choke and <laughs> plenty of material out there if you want to see. Yeah, on, on the, I put a lot of it on um, on on Instagram. So, so it's uh, 10PWLA, Times Planet West LA. That's at 10PWLA. I'm always putting shit on there. Um, then there's a Facebook one, the Facebook group. I think it's a group or a page. And it's a uh, 10th planet Einstein. So they call me Einstein. Um, I didn't name, you know, people give themselves nicknames and I'm like, oh God. Like it was literally a guy we called Douchebag Larry. I mean, he's such a douchebag. He was on Millionaire Matchmaker and like not matching. Like he's just like, <laughs> I, I didn't have a problem with him at all, but he got his arm hurt. I put him in a move and he, I, I don't remember. And apparently like, me, Rogan, and Eddie were out and they're like, no, Larry hates you. I'm like, he hates me? Why? What did I do? Like he has, he hurt his arm and he closed it his arm, his Einstein arm. So he called me Einstein to be disrespectful. Like not say, my last name's Epstein. I don't have an island, but like Long Island's my island. But uh, he would call it his Einstein because he would say, oh, Einstein fucked my arm. And they're like, who's Einstein? He's like the kid. And they're like, Epstein? Whatever, Einstein. So they're like, dude, he hates your guts. And he calls you Einstein, which is kind of cool. So Rogan, Rogan and Eddie Bravo, were like you're you're Einstein. I was like, oh, I'll be Einstein. <laughs> so he has his Einstein, and I actually, and they told me like he doesn't hurt anyone because I, I don't hurt people. Like I, if I got the move, I let go. Sometimes I let go early. Like, but uh, yeah. So uh, so it became your nickname. Yeah. So um, it's tenth planet Einstein. Um, it's something like that on TikTok. Like tenth planet Einstein is Scott Epstein ten. I think it is on TikTok. So I'm on all social media platforms um, because uh, I know how powerful that is. And, you know, sometimes it's just, hey, it's something else to do. It keeps the name out there. Um, it lets the gym be known. It lets the students be known. It lets the students have a place to look. It lets other people that hit me up. There's people that hit me up that I don't know, and they got a million questions, but I still try to help them. Then they start taking advantage of it. Then I'm their best friend. I own something. But like, you know, if you got questions and you're watching videos or whatever, ask. I'll respond. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, I'm looking at my phone all the time, like, you know, when I'm not working. Um, and then there's the YouTube, which I think is just 10th Planet West LA. So I put them on all over the place so people can learn. Get, but obviously, or maybe not obviously, to be there physically on the mat and have to do the technique over and over and over and feel, oh, you know what? This kind of hurts my hand. Hey, can I do it this way? Yeah, you can. See how it feels. Oh, okay. That's better for me. You got to have options. You know, it's not just one way. There's not one way to, you know, hit a baseball or, or you know, like yeah. you got to do what's, uh, what's best for you and what feels best for you. That is effective. Um, so yeah, uh, that's where all my jujitsu stuff is. Artwork floats around here and there. Um, I do like murally stuff. Uh, like street arts, I do commissions um, or not. I, I just have different concepts, ideas. I have a stack of canvases that are just sitting in the back that I haven't shown. Um, especially with online stuff, like you just put stuff online and sell it. I don't need to be like in a gallery 
I am in a gallery. Oh no, it's not there. So uh, Kelly Graval, uh, Shepard Ferry, um, Dave Navarro from the, you know, the musician Dave Navarro. Uh, one other guy, they did a big art show together out here and I did a collab with Dave Navarro. I did most of it, it's like a graffiti thing. And then we put like some of his logos and he was there with me doing it. It's like an eight foot, but like four foot painting too. So that was like my first big, big show that I was part of. Um, uh, I don't know that you really care about doing shows because there's a lot of, I don't know. Um, but maybe in the future where I can just like have less to do and I could just go, okay, I can focus on this. Um, I'll yeah. do it. And maybe, maybe in closing, you know, any, uh, dartboard goals for you for 2023 where we're going to see you and any messages for our listeners out there i don't even know who your listeners are so uh my message is uh <laughs> keep pushing <laughs> it keep grinding bro i'm gonna give you the same motivational i don't have a message for you thanks for watching mom um uh i don't know you know if it, if they're on here for you know uh motivation you know of some sort or just learning like i started jujitsu when i was 21 right and to me that's late but you don't but i have students that have come in 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 their late 40s just get out of your comfort zone because your comfort zone you might be the most uncomfortable place in the world yeah so like you how old are you 47 oh you're 47 no reason why you can't come to the gym. Try it. Don't, so don't, like, a lot, here's the problem with jujitsu. A lot of people go to these gyms and their first day in, they go, okay, here, you're going to spar with this guy. You don't do it. And you're like, what? And you're not 20 and you're like, oh, I'll bounce back in three seconds. And you wind up tweaking your back or tweaking your neck or something goes wrong or you just don't like someone smothering your face with their chest. I don't let you do that. You come in, you learn the techniques. The person you're teaching, uh, that's teaching you the techniques Next time you'll spar with them because they know that they were teaching you. And so they're not trying to kill you. They're trying to work with you. And it's a slow process. And, you know, give it a month. I'm going to be like, hey, Rich, go over there and show that guy the two egg locks you learned. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to teach what you've been learning. And what's that going to do? A, it's going to make you confident or going to make you back up. Most people just get really confident and they get happy that coach let them do something. And also they have to articulate what they've learned and they really hyper-focus on it. And so that's what I would do with someone like you, like, which is, there's plenty of someone's like you, you know? And then when you get comfortable, you get spar, you know, it's tell people, look, man, you don't want to be like, Hey, I want to do mountain biking and just buy a recumbent bike that looks like a mountain bike and sit in your house pedaling, like with a, with a video prompt <laughs> COVID times. Like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, jiu-jitsu is amazing. It's amazing for kids, for mind-body organization. It's amazing from what you just talked about, the the constant evolving and learning from your opponent and learning about yourself and perfecting your craft and gaining confidence and respect in the, those that you work with because they're all helping you develop, train, and develop. So I may take you up on that <laughs> just for the sake of breaking the ego. I've been looking for the opportunity, and I'm, I'm grateful for yeah you. especially if you're not sparring there's not really any ego to break there's just the i tell people like the first step is contacting me that's hard second step is actually showing up and then after that it's smooth sailing you know and, you know it's like anything else like people can you get injured oh my god it's so good i'm like dude i have people that play basketball that have way worse injuries and constantly out from 
dribbling a ball and running back and forth. Like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, you just sit at a table like this all day, and guess what? All of a sudden, you have a degenerated disc and you can yep. back in it. And you that's right. This. That's right. Well, Scott, thank you for for making time in your busy day and your busy week. Uh, and if you are out there and you're listening, if you're in Los Angeles, reach out to Scott, get a hold of him on IG, or stop by 10th Planet West LA here, La Cienega and Olympic. The website is uh, 10planetwestla.com. 10, 10, not T-E-N-T-H. 10th Planet. 10th Planet westla.com i think we rank first on google so it should be pretty easy to find us um the bad yelp reviews ignore them those are people that never <laughs> even came to my gym they, they didn't never even came to my gym they just had online conversations with me they email me i'm like and they don't like what i have to say and then i go off on them you know <laughs> okay so i'll be careful during my outreach <laughs> just leave your name i'll say come in this time well actually i don't even do it anymore i have i, have, I pay someone to do that so um yeah. Scott, thank you so much for your time, for your story, for your resilience, even though you may not see it that way, for the courage to keep seeking out your passion and to be open to being successful in multiple forms, to be creative and to be a fighter, right? We don't have to be one dimensional in this world. No, that's just boring. <laughs> you know? Well, thank you to all my listeners for checking in. I appreciate Scott, if you or someone you know uh, would like to tell your story. Would like to uh you know be here with us and help inspire others or talk about how you've used your emotion to power you through even your pain can be used to motivate yourself to motivate someone else i'm thankful to all of you for listening connecting with me i'm richard listens and i'm out thanks rich peace thank you again to scott epstein thank you again to all my listeners hope you enjoyed this episode check them out owner of 10th Planet, West LA, Jiu-Jitsu, actor, street artist. Check him out at 10PWLA on Instagram. Hit me up at Richard Listens. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the March Madness. Peace.